Well, good morning. Thank you, choir. I'd make you do it again, but you'd think I was covering for being late. <laughs> it was delightful. Listen, I don't know if you, get, if you didn't get one last week. We had these little books called Inspire. This is talking, telling the story of where we're going to be heading after we got our 5-0 vote. Uh, Pastor Derek, who's been assisting me this hour, has, uh, is a primary person who put all this together. So give him all the hugs and kisses and appreciation for it. Thank you. And um, I just want... I want you to have one. There's a lot of questions answered in here. There's a lot of uh, things to be praying about and uh, praying for, and uh, so for you to have that. We're in a series uh, from the book of John. We're in John chapter 10 today, so if you can turn there in your Bible, we'll be looking at uh, some of those verses together. We're in this series on Jesus is. Who is Jesus? His identity is the most important question to answer of uh, who do you believe Jesus is, and uh, so we are going to be studying that together because we believe that Jesus is God come in human flesh. And uh, so we worship him. And there's places in this world that'll get you killed. And uh, so we want to be sure we know who he is because that will determine also where you're going to spend eternity. Are you going to spend it in heaven with Jesus or not? And um, so we'll be talking about that some. Well, you know, since coming to South Shores, I've been uh, privileged to be pastor here now since July of 98, but I think we've averaged more than one funeral a month, more than one funeral a month. Some years, we've had two funerals a month. In fact, uh, last May, we ended up having seven funerals in nine days, and so um, there's not a rush, by the way. You know, I I, I think of it like this, you know, heaven is going to be forever. It's a long time, and so we don't have to be the first ones at the party. So, uh, you know, we can take our time, okay, and um, get our work done here, and then go to heaven where we can celebrate it and talk about it. And so, for instance, we had a a memorial yesterday here for Clark Bonner, who's uh, one of our dear members, and uh, just loved the Lord, and uh, was here. And, um, you know, we heard some wonderful stories about him. He, he loved to go hunting for squirrels on a ranch down in San Diego, but he, walking was sometimes challenging. So he would hunt from his SUV, which is kind of unusual, you know, so he'd drive his SUV out where he could park it and watch for squirrels and then shoot them from the SUV. The problem is at least once, maybe twice or more, he shot the rear view mirror right off, you know, <laughs> <laughs> One of the funnier things that happened, he had all kinds of mums yesterday. They were bought knee-high flowers, 40, 40 different um, flowers here. And he said to people, we told people, Clark wants you to have one of these. So take one home, put it in your car, take it home. Well, we went from here up to the reception. There was a wedding coming in afterwards. So after the reception, people came down, grabbed the flowers, and went on their way. And it wasn't very... The reception actually was still happening. And a frantic groom showed up at my office. And he said, where are my flowers? And I said, what? He said, well... I said, when did you bring them to the church? He said, just 15 minutes ago. We set them on the stage. And now they're gone. <laughs> came in and people were in the reception. had been done exactly what we asked them to do. Be generous with the flowers. I mean, I'm surprised that we still have some ferns left, you know? And, and I mean, they, they, they came through. They took the mums. They took all the wedding flowers. So anyway... We're calling the florist. Hey, can you make another one of those? And uh, it was in Costa Mesa, so we sent somebody racing up to get them. So, uh, but, you know, we're, we're, we do a, a, an awful lot of funerals. We have one scheduled for Precious Joanne Downs coming up in, on October 3rd. And then uh, one for uh, BJ 
uh, Schlapper in San Juan on the 4th. And then just last night, uh, Dorothy uh, died in San Juan. She's one of the original members of starting our congregation down there. And so uh, you don't have to be in a rush, like I was telling you, because we got some work to do. And for many people, death is this awful door that leads to, well, they don't know where. Maybe they think to nothingness. Some know about judgment and eternal hell. Um, but for many, it's a great and a terrifying unknown. And, uh, you know, our minds can't endure constant threats. So we naturally avoid it. It's an uncomfortable topic. We don't like talking about it a lot. And um, yet the Bible talks about it. In fact, in Hebrews, it says, Through fear of death, men are subject to slavery all their life. I mean, it doesn't mean, of course, that human uh, psychological experience is one of constant fear. It means that death is fearful, so we impulsively flee fear. We're trying to run to stay ahead of it. And, and uh, so man is enslaved to perpetual flight apart from Christ. He may know periods of happiness and, and peace or purpose for a season, but then that haunting thought of death uh, once again, is on his, has him on the trail, and he's got to keep moving. He's got to stay running to stay ahead of it. There's no true freedom uh, when happiness depends on denying the inevitable, and uh, there's only slavery disguised in a thousand forms of busyness and fun. And so I count the ministry of doing funerals as a gift because it keeps my heart and my mind awake to the reality of death. And protects me from this enslavement of being a fugitive. I mean, uh, I know other churches, senior pastors sometimes delegate the funerals to somebody else. But I have found people never forget those moments. And there's just, uh, there's tender times in, in there where significant things are happening in people's hearts. And it can be a great time when things are falling apart that somebody now is open to hearing about Jesus and what he can offer them. And so... Uh, for me, it's a, a precious time to, as well, stay focused on uh, keeping it in view that, uh, you know, uh, someday you'll have a service for me and uh, for my wife or for my children. And if we're going to do the, hear the voice of Christ as our good shepherd and to follow him, then we need to do it now and to, to uh, follow him. And, uh, you know, another reason that it's a gift is that God's prom gives us a lot of promises in his word and they go beyond death. In this world. In fact, if you were to never think of death, you'd never think of the promises that talk about resurrection and eternal life. Think about it. Everybody wants to go to heaven and nobody wants to die, which is kind of a prerequisite. You know, everybody wants to go to heaven. Nobody wants to die. And you can't think of the word forever without thinking of your death or at least the possibility of your death. And yet the benefits that God promises are terribly deflated if it doesn't carry us all the way into eternity. It says in 1 Corinthians, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. So funerals are a gift because they again and again cause at least me to set my gaze, as the Bible says, not on things that are seen, but on things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. The things that are unseen are eternal. And the more I set my, the eyes of my heart on the invisible gift of eternal life, the more precious Jesus becomes. Because he's the only one who can give it. And so I want to pass along some of those benefits 
And we can see some of them right here in John chapter 10. Now, when we're breaking into the story in the middle, Jesus is in the middle of a conflict, a fight with the Pharisees. He seemed to do that a lot. They were people who had studied the Bible. They thought they knew it all. And uh, now they're talking to somebody they don't know, but he's the author. He, he, he co-authored it. And um, so he knows it very well. And they're arguing over the identity of Jesus. Who is he? He says such radical things. He does these miracles that only come from the power of God. Is he a lunatic? Is he crazy? Is he a liar? Or could he possibly be the king of kings and lord of lords and uh, God as he claimed? So we're looking at starting at verse 22 in chapter 10. At that time, the feast of dedication took place in Jerusalem. I think that feast has lined up with Hanukkah now, which early December. And it was winter and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. And the Jews gathered around him and asked him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Now, it's winter in Jerusalem, and uh, this feast of dedication is a couple hundred years old. It uh, started when a king, a Seleucid king from up in Syria named Antiochus Epiphanes, and I know it sounds like a sneeze, um, but Antiochus Epiphanes uh, had this, came up with this novel idea. Let's go down to that temple in Jerusalem. Let's capture those people. Let's change the worship in the temple of God in Jerusalem away from God and let's establish our own religion there and make them worship like we do. Force them to believe our beliefs. Persecute them enough that they forsake their own beliefs in the one true God and do it our way. So he comes to Jerusalem and he sacrifices a pig on the altar in Jerusalem, intentionally forcing Jewish people to, to desecrate the, the temple of God. And then they go from village to village, forcing priests to sacrifice a pig. Well, they come to this one little village. There's an old priest named Mattathias. And when they hand him the knife and say, kill the pig, he used it to kill the people who were insisting on that instead. And then he raced for the hills and uh, called anybody who wanted freedom and to be able to worship God to follow him. He had five sons. The most famous of those was named Judas Maccabee or Maccabeus. And um, Matthias died before the fight was over, but within three years they had thrown out the overlords and uh, had established freedom purified the temple god had done some miracles in the process and so they celebrated this feast again in jerusalem in 164 bc then the maccabees looked around and said well who's supposed to be the king who's supposed to be the priest and they said we don't know so until somebody shows up with the right qualifications that will be us and they put the, they made themselves um in charge and for the next um 150, 170 years they were until along came King Herod who married the last uh, princess from their line and then uh, basically obliterated all of them one at a time. So that's kind of how that story goes. So here Jesus is walking in uh, during that feast in Jerusalem at a time where now instead of the Seleucids over them, you've got the Romans over them. And they're thinking, we need another savior. We need another Judas Maccabeus to come along and to, to throw out the, uh, the uh, overlords that come in from the outside to, uh, to rout the Romans and free the land of foreign domination once again. And so they come to Jesus and say, how long are you going to hold us in suspense? If you're the Messiah, tell us plainly. Well, you don't just walk up to anybody and ask him, are you the Messiah? It was the way he talked and the, word, the actions that he took and the miracles that he did. And they've been waiting for a Messiah a long time. And the Messiah was supposed to be a king to come and to reign and to smash the enemies and to start an eternal kingdom of peace and righteousness. 
And Jesus says to them, well, I told you, and you didn't believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you don't believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Well, they said, tell us plainly. And he told them, but it didn't really seem plain enough to them. He didn't say, yes, I am the Messiah. In fact, you read the book of John, and he doesn't do that anywhere except maybe in chapter 4, where he's not even talking to a Jewish person he's talking, or a man. He's talking to the woman of Samaria by the side of the well. And just as plainly as he can for her, he says, uh, you know, she had said the Messiah is coming, and he said, well, I am he. I am the Messiah. So Jesus met with widespread unbelief in his own day, just like he does today. And it wasn't primarily from a lack of evidence or a lack of worthy testimony, but it's rather a deeply rooted spiritual unwillingness to love what Jesus loves. It's, I don't want to put him in charge in my life. In chapter four or 5 of John, I don't remember, but Jesus asked, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and you do not seek the glory that comes only from God? There's, here he says, you're studying, studying, studying God's word, but instead you're, you're wanting to, you're patting each other on the back rather than saying, what does God think? How do we follow God? What are God's thoughts on this? And uh, what is God's word trying to tell us? How do we align our lives based on the way God wants us to live our lives, not just on how do I like it or what's convenient uh, for me? And he says, you're looking for the glory that comes from each other rather than God's glory. It's not primarily a problem of knowledge. It's a problem of pride. I mean, like Jesus, Paul too traces unbelief back through ignorance to the heart which is hardened. He said they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to their hardness of heart. You know, when people are not alive spiritually with Jesus, there's a deadness, a kind of deadness to spiritual things kind of grips the heart of unbelievers. And the affections of some are so enslaved to the things of the world, Jesus says they refuse to repent even if somebody would rise from the dead. Then he died and he rose from the dead and it still didn't cause them to get on their knees and to say he really is the Lord of glory. I need to worship him with my whole life which would be a proper response. It's not a problem of knowledge. It's a problem of affection. It's what they love. They loved being in charge. They loved being um, the one who made all the decisions rather than saying, I am following Jesus Christ. See, in order to believe on Christ, something very deep and life-shaking has to happen in your heart. Something like a resurrection or a recreation has to take place. Something has to emerge which wasn't there before. Then usually for many people, it's a crisis that brings them to a point of saying, oh my goodness, I need to examine the claims of Christ. A couple of months ago, I got a call from a couple of people here at church. They were in the earlier service here this morning. And they said, would you please go visit our friend? And they gave me his name and address in Lake Forest. And they said, he... We want to be sure that he knows Jesus. Well, 
This man had graduated from a prestigious university here in Southern California. He'd become a very uh, successful commercial developer, a terrific friend, an outstanding athlete, fun. He was wealthy, and he was proud of the fact that he didn't need a crutch like God or church. And then he got a swift-growing cancer. And he found himself in the fight of his life and he was going to the doctors regularly and he realized that all of his investments, all of his accomplishments were in this world. And he realized, I'm not going to be in this world very long and I've done nothing for preparation beyond that. And in his crisis, he humbled his heart and he made peace with God and he asked Jesus to be his savior. So when I got to his, his house and came in, his friend said, hey, we have somebody for you to meet. He's our pastor. And he said, well, I didn't know he was coming. And then he looked at me and he said, but I need to plan my funeral. And his friends go, no, 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 you know, let's just be nice and, and talk and pray together. He said, nope, I need to do this. And he started literally to make a list. I've thought about this and I've done this and I've done this and I've done this. And uh, literally, I mean, one of his friends said, would you please take some notes? And she took a whole page, single space of notes of things he had thought and planned and what he was planning to do and who he wanted to do what. And then he said... I have had a profound experience of asking Jesus Christ to forgive my sin and to become my Savior. Do you think you're going to see this man in heaven? You never saw him in church. He never darkened the door once. Do you think you'll see him in heaven? Absolutely, because coming to church isn't one of the prerequisites. But knowing Jesus Christ is if you're going to live in heaven forever. We planned, we prayed. And I never saw him again alive. At his funeral, there were about 250 of the most beautiful, well-educated, overachieving, fun-loving, pleasant pagans I've ever been with in one room. No, no, I wasn't joking. They all thought exactly like him. Somebody pointed out, you know, in this room are the people who are responsible for over half of the commercial development of all of Southern California. And the rest agreed it was a true statement. It's impressive. But only in this life. I mean, his crisis of health had led to a crisis of faith. What am I going to do with the fact that I'm going to die and leave everything I've worked for here? He chose to let go of his pride. And to grab a hold of the hand of Jesus. But his family and his friends who were not having a crisis of health just continued living as he had been an example to them for 50 years. Living the way they had before. So salvation is a gift. It's a gift from God. It's not something that you think up yourself. It comes from the hand of Jesus. He offers it to those who are willing to receive it. But not everybody's willing to receive it. Some people, like this man's friends, think, I'm doing pretty well. I mean, look at my accomplishments. Look at the reserves that I have in the bank. Look what I have going for me. Look at all of these friends. Those are the kind that are coming to talk to Jesus. And Jesus used an abrupt style to try to communicate to these people. He said, you do not believe because you are not my sheep. Earlier in the same chapter, Jesus had explained, I am the good shepherd. I, the good shepherd, lays down his life for the sheep. 
The one who's a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Who are the sheep? The people who love Jesus, who have heard his voice and have responded to his call. Who are the wolves? Well, I thought of at least three. Let me give them to you. You probably think of some more. But the first wolf is sin. Sin is a wolf that would come and destroy the sheep. In fact, John 1.29 says of Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Sin is a wolf that destroys the world and cuts us off from God. And Jesus comes into the world and he draws the wolf of sin away from the believers. And he died sacrificing himself so that his flock could live. He is the sacrificial lamb and he bears the sin of many. The first wolf is sin. It's knocking at the door. The second wolf is death. Death is a great destroyer. It attacks and destroys everyone, great and small, rich and poor, young and old, men and women, every race, every creed. It's not fair. It's an omnivorous wolf of destruction. You never know. You could be the picture of health and be terminal at your next doctor visit. You could be driving down the road and be in the hospital or the morgue before your trip is over. You could just wear out with age. These bodies aren't intended to live forever. We're supposed to be thinking about what happens after this life because this, well, the, the death is for, uh, one for one. Every person who's born sooner or later dies. So you've got to get ready. The wolf of death is patient and persistent. And you need to be ready when life goes on beyond the grave. It's been a few years now, but there used to be a godly couple. They would sit right over here, part of this church, Harold and Doris Pollinger. Some of you probably remember them. They'd been married, I don't know, 70-something years, and uh, he had been a pastor, and uh, they just loved the Lord, and they loved each other, and they loved this church, and they, they cared for one another. And one day they were sitting in their easy chairs watching television together, and I don't know if she had asked for a drink or something, but he got up to go to the kitchen to get her a drink, and he hasn't quite stepped out of the living room. He's in the doorway going in the kitchen, and suddenly Dora says, Harold, I'm leaving. He went over, and she didn't have a pulse. Harold, I'm leaving. It was like somebody was grabbing her by the hand and she's saying, goodbye, honey. That was it. I mean, she took the hand of Jesus to walk through the valley of death. It comes in an instant. Let me ask, do you know the Savior? Is he your good shepherd? He came for Doris just like that. Death doesn't destroy by ending what we planned in this life and leading to nothingness. Death destroys by ending what we had planned in this life and leading us right into the courtroom of God Almighty whose law we have broken and whose glory we have despised. And he's the righteous judge. So after death comes the third wolf that Jesus saves us from. Divine judgment. It says in Hebrews 9, it is appointed unto man once to die, and after that comes judgment. Are you ready to meet God face to face? It's not a comfortable question, and we need to be sure we have the right answer, because you will not survive in your own strength alone. 
in that court. You will need an advocate. You will need a savior. You will need a shepherd. And Jesus is the good shepherd. He's the only one available. And so when those two wolves of sin and death threaten the sheep, Jesus lays down his life to destroy them and to save us from them. In John 5, 24, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment. He is passed from death to life. See, when Jesus laid down his life for us, he saved his sheep from all three destroying wolves, sin and death and judgment. And he saw them coming. He went out to meet them. He drew them away from the flock. He gave his own life to kill them and to take away their power so they could not destroy his flock. So the true sheep follow the good shepherd. Christianity is not merely being saved from sin and death and judgment. It means having a living shepherd to guide and to feed you and to heal you and to protect you and to help you love. My sheep know my voice, Jesus said. We must be Jesus' sheep in order to believe. Being a sheep is why one does believe. You see, people can be God's, uh, Jesus' sheep because God acts. God chooses them. God calls them. But you have to respond if you're going to be part of his flock. And Jesus is talking to unbelievers. He says, you do not believe because you are not my sheep. And it's to these unbelievers that Jesus is teaching the glorious truth of God's grace. Grace from God coming by faith. Working in us. My sheep hear my voice, Jesus said, and they follow me. Are you his sheep? Can you hear his voice? If you are not hearing the voice of God, then maybe it's time to spend a little more time in quiet listening. God, speak to me. I've been doing that more. I've been praying, God, there's such big steps in the days ahead. I want to be sure we're right in step with you, not ahead, not behind. We are uh, on top of what could be the most significant days in the entire history of our church as we want to take huge steps forward for the Lord. So I'm praying more, and, and I've had more people than usual say to me, Pastor, I pray for you every day. Thank you. If you didn't tell me that, you don't have to, but just add me to your prayer list, would you please? And because, I, you know, there's certain things that I can delegate to other people and ask them to do, but there's certain things I have to do for myself, like have my own walk with God, like live in integrity before Him, like keep listening to Jesus' voice for myself, like live with a happy wife and children. And so to be praying for me and to be lifting me up to say, God, may he truly hear your voice. May we be right in step with you. My sheep hear my voice, Jesus said, and I know them. He knows who are his sheep and he, he calls them by name. He knows you if you are his. You know, it's like the husband waiting at the airport for his wife, watching all of the people walk out of the airport. He sees uh, crowds of people, families, men and women. But there's one that he knows by sight. He can call her by name. He delights in her. She's the only one he embraces. She has his full attention. The Lord knows who are his. And he loves you just like that husband watching for his wife at the airport. It's hard to overemphasize what a tremendous privilege it is to be known personally, intimately, lovingly by the Son of God. 
It's a precious gift to his sheep. Look at verse 28. I give them eternal life. They will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Jesus says, I give them eternal life. They will never perish. Which he's talking to unbelievers. He's bluntly saying there are two eternal destinies. All roads don't just lead to heaven. Not everybody's going. The one way to heaven is through Jesus, the good shepherd. The other path is eternal punishment. We call it hell. Which comes to those who refuse his voice and simply go their own way. They are not going to be forced to live in God's presence in heaven forever. In fact, Jesus explained it this way in Matthew 25. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all his angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne and before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. See, when the terrible truth of hell glows clearly in people's understanding and imagination, then it becomes more precious to them, the final promise that Jesus gives. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one can snatch them out of my hand. Those sheep are mine. And those who hear the voice of Jesus and follow him are gripped by the hand of the Son of God, the almighty divine hand, the hands that made the world. The hands that were nailed to the cross. The hands that reach out to you and to me and say, whosoever will, come. You know, a few years after Doris died, Harold's health was failing and he went to live at his son's home. And one day, three of his sons or grandsons or great-grandsons, I don't remember which, came over to visit. And they were just too energetic. They were climbing on him, hugging him, kissing him. They were like seven, eight, nine years old, you know, climbing all over him on the bed and... <clears throat> Finally, somebody said, they're wearing him out. Let's take him to the beach. So they got all three boys ready. They're about to head out to the beach. Well, one of his grandsons was a special needs child. And the first two boys ran out to the car, but the special needs boy stopped in the doorway and turned around and said, hey, grandpa, see you here. See you there. See you here. See you there. It was Harold's last conscious day. He went to be with Jesus that week. See you there. You know, it doesn't take a rocket scientist. You simply have to be listening for the voice of the Savior and then to appropriately respond. And that special needs grandson understood, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And he had responded. And so he had that same kind of protection and guidance and assurance of a place in heaven that you and I are given when we come to him as Savior. Jesus is the good shepherd and the sheep belong to him. He loves the sheep more than he loved himself. Have you heard his call? Are you listening for his voice? Have you given him your heart? Let's pray. Jesus, you're the only one who can give us eternal life in heaven. You're the only one who can forgive sin. You're the only one who can fill our lives with true purpose. Now I pray that as we think your thoughts, we truly will hear your voice and that we will follow you in all things, that we will respond appropriately in faith, that we will ask you to forgive our sin, to be our Savior, that we, like <coughs> the builder, will realize it's not all about just this life. 
I need to be ready for eternity, and we will come to you. Thank you for reaching out to us. Thank you for offering us salvation. Amen.